0: Welcome to this Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm John McLean. I can be reached at McLean underscore on underscore NFL.
1: I'm Greg Rogin. I can be reached at Greg Rogin, R-A-J-A-N on Twitter. Greg, it's
0: really strange not to be at the Combine. Brooks Cabina's there doing a tremendous job, but there wasn't one last year because of the pandemic, but I had been 34 years in a row, watched it grow from like, Five sports writers in the lobby of a hotel grabbing prospects when they came out and only writing for the draft previews, not daily, to watching it grow now to more than a thousand people are there. Not as big as the Super Bowl, of course, but still big. And NFL Network, of course, took it to a new level. I love this time of the year as we get prepared for the draft, which begins April 28th, and free agency, which starts March 16th.
1: Yes, John, the uh, combine has grown quite a bit, um, much to the delight of the Indianapolis hospitality industry, no doubt. Uh, I've never seen St. Elmo mentioned more on Twitter than than the week of the combine, usually.
0: I think it's overrated. There's a place right on the same block called Harry and Izzy's that has the same menu, and cooked the same way on by the same people, and yet everybody goes and packs into St. Elmo's, which is really old and not very big, instead of walking down the street to Harry and Izzy's. And what's bad is everybody loves it in Indianapolis because it's convenient to get there, and you can walk everywhere downtown. Now they want to move it to the Cowboys or the Rams, which they may turn out to be great spots, but they certainly won't be convenient where everybody can walk everywhere they need to go.
1: Yes, the media convenience is great in, in Indianapolis. Um, I am not really the St. Elmo type. I'm more the budget conscious individual. So I, if I'm in India, I'm going to Steak and Shake, not St. Elmo. That's, but, uh, <laughs> late at
0: night if you're up and I used to be up late, I'd go from hotel bar to hotel bar to see coaches and scouts and be able to BS with them. And you walk by steak and shake. It was always packed. And people spoke just as highly about that downtown steak and shake as they do
1: St. Elmo's. All right, John, we got a lot of Texan stuff to talk about in Indianapolis, Nick Casario and Lovey Smith. Both have met with the media this week. Uh, you know, Nick Casario, he's a master of saying a lot of words without really saying anything. But he says the team is open to bringing back Justin Reed. They're, op- they're keeping their options open on Laramie Tunsil. Obviously, he was peppered with Deshaun Watson questions from national media types that were there this week. Um, what are your takeaways from anything Casario has said this week? He's obviously not tipping his hand much on anything.
0: Not much. I took a lot more away from Lovey Smith, who's more open, Casario said their day-to-day of Watson, which they have been for a year. We've all known that. And the thing about uh, he'd be open to Justin Reed, and and, and he was asked about Laramie Tunsell. And I'm beginning to think, Greg, he's not going to be traded because if your new offensive line coach, Jordan Warhoff, this is his eighth team to be the line coach. If, if they trade Tunsell, they need four new starters up front. I don't think they want to start with four new front starters. I think Titus Howard's the only one that's guaranteed a job. And Howard should be playing tackle, not guard, which he was misused last season. And if you have tons of left tackle and Howard and right tackle, then you can work on the interior of your line. And so it won't surprise me at all if he stays. And then the biggest news from Watson, of course, wasn't, from Nick Casario, but it was more for Chris Greer, the GM of Miami. And you wrote that story. Tell people if they
1: don't know what Chris Greer said. Uh, Chris Greer was, you know, he did his media session at the Combine, and naturally he was asked about Deshaun Watson, and he just, I mean, he he got down to brass tacks. He just said the door is shut on Deshaun. So they are uh, going all in on Tua Tagovailoa, year three of his rookie deal. They have a new coach, Mike McDaniel, the former 49ers offensive coordinator, who was uh, a one-time Texans assistant under Gary Kubiak, and I know I saw the video when Mike Daniel was hired. He was calling Tua Tagovailoa on the phone from, like, I guess, from an airplane, and they were chopping it up about how much they wanted, to, they were looking forward to working together. So they're going to give it a go with Tua. I guess they they just don't want any part of Watson. There, I know you had reported in November that a deal had been close with Miami, but Stephen Ross, the owner, had insisted that Watson get his civil lawsuit settled and. That didn't happen before the trade deadline and apparently that ship has sailed for the Dolphins.
0: What's going to be interesting about that, Greg, is that was the only place that Watson would approve. He's got that no trade clause. He rejected Philadelphia. Now, Denver and Carolina, to me, seem to be the two teams that would be the most interested because they were the most interested last year and they made no bones about their quarterback desperation. But uh, I think, he was fired up about going to Miami because he wanted to live in South Florida, a mansion on the water with, you know, speed boats, whatever he wanted uh, based on money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Miami Vice. And uh, I think that, that if you take away Brian Flores and the fact, this team could be in a lot of trouble because of Stephen Ross and the allegations in Brian Flores lawsuit saying that he had proof of uh, Stephen Ross offering him $1,000 to take games. And if that's the case, they could lose multiple number one draft choices. He could have to sell the team. So they would have a lot of distractions. And the key is Watson's got to give Nick Casario options now. And I think Denver is a great quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. And Carolina – Which has the sixth overall pick this year, Denver number nine, but Carolina is a three-hour drive from his hometown in Gainesville, Georgia, and also really close to his quarterback guru and best friend,
1: Quincy Avery. Yes, we'll be uh, we'll be discussing Quincy here shortly. You know, one topic that was broached with Nick Casario was, you know, he he said the Texans are open for business as far as trading the number three pick in the draft. And Brooks Cabina did a nice piece on HoustonChronicle.com about how much is that draft pick worth and looking at previous deals involving the number three pick in the draft. John, are the Texans in a position where they should look at trading down or do they need to just get the best available player with that number three pick?
0: They need the best available player at a need position, and that would start in the offensive line. They would have a choice of one of the top two. Evan Neal, offensive tackle from Alabama, Ike Kwanu from North Carolina State, who could play guard for a season. He could move to tackle. Some view him as a tackle, some as a guard. The Bottom line is, he's the most physical, nastiest guy in the draft, kind of like Quentin Nelson was when uh, Indianapolis drafted him, and he's become a perennial Pro Bowl guard. And uh, if they wanted a safety, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame is a great prospect, but I've said all along, If you're going to play a lot of two-deep coverage, you don't use a third pick on a safety, just like you don't use a third pick on a corner when you're going to play mostly zone. That's why I think it's got to be one of those two offensive linemen or a pass rusher like Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, it is a deep draft, Greg, for offensive tackles and edge rushers. So if he wanted to drop down a few, he's still going to get a good prospect, but man, those two offensive linemen are can't-miss prospects while Kayvon Thibodeau has all the tools but people say he didn't put out on a consistent basis, and that's not a good label to get. And, of course, he's been trying to combat it, and when he does his interview at the combine this weekend, you know he's going to be trying to put those charges to rest because his agent is watching him drop down from, like, the first or second pick down along the sixth or seventh, which costs them a lot of money.
1: Yeah, John, I'm not a big fan of that anonymous smear tactic before the draft that you see every year where you have these whispers about prospects. And a lot of times teams just doing it, hoping a player will drop down to them. And I'm just not a fan of that. You know, you were mentioning uh, Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety Did you know that no safety has been drafted that high, like in the top three, since Bill Belichick, in his first draft with the Browns in 1991, drafted the late Eric Turner? So safety is just not a premium position when you look at the NFL draft for whatever reason, even though you would think pass defense is even more paramount these days, but it's focused more on the corners.
0: And it better start with the pass rushers because it doesn't matter who you got in the secondary if you can't get the quarterback, and the Texans are desperate to improve their pass rush. They've got Jonathan Gennard at left end. They need a a right end who can come off the edge. They've got Roy Lopez, Malik Collins, if they resign him as their tackles. But if you can't bolster that pass rush, you're spinning your wheels in the secondary. And I think you mentioned earlier Justin Reed, and Brooke Kamina did a story about uh, Justin Reed, because Sergio's open to bring him back, and then Reed did a podcast just going on and on about his praise for Lovey Smith and how he would like to be back, but the bottom line is they're going to have to pay him what he wants or he's going to go somewhere else. And free agency, you can start negotiating, I think, on the 13th or 14th, and then the league year begins on the 16th, and so generally, not all the time, Greg, but generally if you're going to re-sign players, you better do it and not let them hit the open market because it's rare for them to hit the open market and then come back. It happens, but it's rare. So I would think if they're going to bring him back, they need to do it ahead of time. They're still going to need another safety, but they won't be as desperate if they can re-sign Justin Reed.
1: Yeah, generally the phrase is you don't let the guy out of the building You know, if you really want to keep him. And if you're Justin Reed, this is maybe your one big chance at a big contract. So, you know, I think he's going to look at all options. You know, Lovey Smith was uh, interviewed yesterday, and he seemed to have a very philosophical approach to the Deshaun Watson situation, saying, we would like a prompt resolution to it, but I'm a patient man too. We understand this is year two. I know Deshaun wants to play. So, I mean... I guess if you look at Lovey Smith's thinking he's never been with the Texans where they had Deshaun Watson, so it's really nothing he's accustomed to. So I guess he's he's just fine playing. I guess the longer, longer game when it comes to Deshaun Watson,
0: they have no option. They're not going to cut him, so they have no option but wait till the legal situation is cleared up. And Belt Lovey also because he was at new at uh, head coach at the University of Illinois, he's never gone against him, so he's only seen him on TV or he's only seen him on tape that he would have watched after he became a Texas coach, although I don't know why he would have watched Watson if he didn't have to. So the situation hasn't changed at all. When the time comes that teams will make them offers, then they will trade him. And uh, until that time comes, it's just all rhetoric,
1: which it has been for a year. Speaking of Deshaun Watson, his personal quarterbacks coach Quincy Avery was on a podcast over the weekend uh, with the ringers, Ryan Rosillo, where he made a comment that really got a lot of attention. And he said regarding Watson, people might've forgot that his last year in Houston, when he played, he was carrying like three guys who could have been working at your local Walmart at the receiver position. And he went absolutely berserk. If he gets on a team with any sort of talent around him, Somebody's going to have to really watch out. Now I saw that comment and I, I was kind of irked by it because of two things. First of all, Quincy Avery's never played a down in the NFL. And to compare guys who actually have worn an NFL uniform and played in a regular season game to people working at Walmart. I mean, that's just to me, that's just ridiculous. And I, I, I think there's also this stigma that there's some something wrong with working at Walmart. If anything, the past two years we've learned how important retail workers are. So I don't know. I just think this is a very bad look on Quincy Avery's part. He came back and cl- tried to claim that his quotes were taken out of context. Although I don't know what context you know you could have taken them in because I mean he just the words are right there. He was asked a question. He answered. So I mean, what are your thoughts on this, John? I, I just don't know why Deshaun Watson would want these people who ostensibly represent him, you know, commenting like this publicly?
0: First of all, I think it's preposterous, and I'll guarantee you Watson didn't like it, because those three receivers were Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller outside and Randall Cobb inside. And Brandon Cooks is one of the best receivers in the league and has been for a while. Will Fuller had his best game till he got suspended the last five games for violating the substance abuse policy. And Randall Cobb missed the last six games with an injury. And Cobb, of course, is now playing with Aaron Rodgers. Will Fuller missed most of the season with the Dolphins. Uh, a lot of people think Fuller signed with the Dolphins because he thought Watson was going to be there. And then Brandon Cooks is still, is by far the Texans' best receiver. So that was insulting. Now, maybe he's talking about QT and Hansen who had to play when those guys got hurt or suspended. And he, and, 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 you know, the thing is, Watson played great that season in every single way, but he did have three good starting receivers till the last part of the season. So maybe if he had said, the last part of the season, two of the three, but if I'm the one that's insulted to me, it would be Brandon Cooks and Fuller and, (laughs) Fuller and Watson are tight. I'm guessing that Watson may have called him and say, man, you know, that's, that's from Hugh and not me. And that's not what he meant. And of course, blame it on the podcast, but there's no way you can take that comment out of context, Greg, because it's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's like, isn't that the job of a franchise quarterback to elevate receivers around you? I don't remember Tom Brady ripping like David Patton or, I mean, the late David Patton or any of these other, you know, receivers that were on those Patriots Super Bowl teams. They might not have been great receivers, but you know what? They helped him get the job done. I mean, Chris Hogan isn't a Hall of Famer, but, you know, he he played pretty well with Tom Brady.
0: That's a fact, and, and that is what happens. But sometimes... It's up to those receivers to make plays and get open to help to make the quarterback look good, and it goes vice versa. And I'll tell you what, Watson, when he does play again, he's going to be making a lot of
1: receivers look good because he is a great quarterback. John, let's close with a little bit of baseball talk or lack of baseball. Um, there was a marathon negotiating session Monday in Florida. And MLB extended its deadline to get a deal done to avoid canceling regular season games to Tuesday afternoon. But the negotiations went sideways on Tuesday. You've got a lot of bad blood now between players and owners, even more so. And uh, there's Rob Manfred went ahead and canceled the first two series of the regular season. So the Astros really lose out big because they will lose a home series against the Phillies and a home series against the Yankees. If you're an Astros season ticket holder, you're very upset because reselling those Yankees tickets, that may, that'll that make you some prime cash. But on a, on a bigger picture, John, how disastrous is this for baseball just to not get a deal done and have these negative headlines again and really fall even more out of the sporting consciousness? When they left Jupiter, Florida, I was angry and I was disappointed
0: as a baseball fan. Now, they'll get it done. I think they're close enough. They're not going to miss more games. I think they're too close. They're just too close. They spent too much time together. And and I've talked about this before, Greg. It always bothers me that all their negotiations ever five years, and thank goodness the NFL does 10-year deals, and they usually have an extension. They haven't had to lose games since 1987. The baseball owners have to be so envious of the owners in the NFL because they do 10-year deals, and they usually do them with one year left, so the labor piece in the NFL is for 11 years. And they haven't had any kind of work stoppage in the NFL since 1987, and it almost seems like we have it every time there's a CBA uh, that is about to expire. The, The two sides in baseball just hate each other. They just do, and therefore the fans hate them all. Now, the fans will come back when it's done. But I feel bad for all those people in Florida and Arizona who've lost out on income, the people that went there or were going to go there, like me, to watch spring training games. But you just want to hear two words. It's not lock and out. It's
1: play and ball. That's very true, John. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be an owner in Major League Baseball that can help, like, bridge the gap with the players, kind of like Robert Kraft did you know, the Patriots owner, the 2011 NFL lockout. He was given a lot of credit by the players kind of for helping get that deal done, even though his wife was dying of cancer at the time. And it it seems like MLB just has these hardliners that are negotiating with the players and there's no, just no Avenue to get a deal done. It seems right now.
0: The Rooney family helped get the strike of 87 settled, the strike of 82 settled and owners take the bull by the horns in football and work hand-in-hand with the commissioner. Now, maybe in baseball, they do it behind the scenes, but they're not as out front as see Robert Kraft, Jerry Jones, the Rooney family, when it comes to labor disagreements, which is one reason they have labor peace. And maybe Rob Manfred wants those owners out of the way so he can take all the bullets from the fans and the players. But the bottom line is fans don't care who makes the money, players, our owners, because they all do. They just want to see baseball
1: back again. John, I want to close with a trivia question. Um, can you name the team that won the last college men's basketball game at the Frank Irwin Center in Austin? Uh,
0: let's see. Let me think. Let me think. Uh, how about those fighting Baylor Bears?
1: Very fair. Sick them. Bears.
0: I'm John McLean. You can reach me at McLean underscore on underscore
1: NFL. I'm Greg Rajan. You can reach me at Greg Rajan, R-A-J-A-N. Greg, thank you very much. Thank everybody, for listening, reading, and watching.